Hey everybody, this is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com. And in this video, what I'm going to do is I want to explain debt, debt markets, bonds, government debt, um, just basically a holistic discussion of debt because that's where interest rates come from and interest rates play such a huge role in the economy and whatnot. Okay, so if you saw my previous money video about inflation, um, where I talk introduction to like understanding inflation, um, I was talking about how like there's money and basically the prices of things are in the intersection between the amount of money that there is and and the supply of goods you can purchase with them. Debt is essentially a price. It's a price in terms of tomorrow dollars, okay? Because basically, point a point in time like a, a dollar today isn't the same thing as a dollar tomorrow. So every good at a particular point in time is essentially a different good. That's like sort of like the big sort of revelation that, that really helps you understand this. So essentially a dollar 10 years from now is not the same thing as a dollar today. So things can be priced relative to the same good at two different points in time. So what interest really is, it's an expression of a price of today dollars, like how much for those today dollars priced relative to tomorrow dollars. Okay, so and the, so basically you have dollars now. So let's say you have a hundred bucks in your pocket and that's all the money you have. I don't have a hundred dollars. Only one of us can actually consume or use that hundred dollars. Okay, either you decide to use it, buy yourself a burger, a t-shirt, go, you know, go buy yourself a dot com and start an internet business, whatever you want to do. But if you do that, then I cannot because you've used up the $100, assuming that we're the only two people in the whole world. So in that case, what I need to do is say, hey, you know, wouldn't it be nice if you could spend $102? And you're like, yeah, that'd be nice. Well, here's what I'll do. You give me that $100 now. I'll spend them today. So I'll I will do $100 of consumption today. But in exchange, I will at some point in the future repay you in 102 future dollars that you can now then do consume $102 worth at some point in the future. With that extra $2 of consumption or whatever you do with the money, is it worth waiting? Okay, so that's essentially what fundamentally the price of interest is. The interest is really just the price I have to pay you to defer consumption. Okay, but there's several factors that you're thinking about when you're trying to think about like, do I want to defer consumption? Okay, because you're thinking like, okay, not only do you, you know, how much do you really want that stuff you were about to buy right now? So this is what's referred to as like time preference. Like, do I, you know, like, do I really want that stuff now? Am I okay with waiting? Okay, so there also might be, you know, like I, the problem is you now would have a debt with me. So I would have, or I would have a debt to you. And that's an asset because technically, even though you may not have $100, you have a debt to you that is worth $102 going forward because over the term of that loan, I'm going to pay you $102. Okay, so you have this asset. So everybody's liability, it's a liability for me. I owe you that money, but you now have an asset with $102, even though you actually don't have $102. But the problem is you can't pay your rent with just any old asset. So you can't, you can't go to your landlord and be like, I don't have the rent money, but you know, I have somebody who owes me that money. So let me just pay you with that debt. Can't do that. Um, generally landlords won't be thrilled with that. 
Okay, so it's not the same thing as having cash. So there may be a desirability to have some liquidity. Okay, so there might be a liquidity preference, a desire to have some level of cash for those kinds of expenditures that you may need to make in the short run to consume. Okay, and all of these things are pretty related. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like it's just looking at the same thing at a different angle. Uh, the desire, how much do I feel like I need to spend the money now versus like how much cash I want. Really, at the end of the day, it's kind of the same same thing, just looking at it at a slightly different angle. But the idea is that whether you're willing to lend your money is going to be based on those sort of factors, okay? So the, your preferences. So if I want to overcome that, if I want to overcome like how much you want to spend the money now, I have to pay you more. So that's how the interest rate goes up. But again, that's not the only factor. You're not the only person I can borrow the money from. So I may decide to go borrow the money from somebody else because you're charging me too much. So then the you know, you start having that competition that drives market prices and you end up having the prevailing rate of interest in the market. Okay. Well, the problem is like with loans right there, we just kind of like discuss like how a loan gets up. So I might get a mortgage this way. I might go to a bank and say, Hey, can I borrow some money? And depending on how much money the banks have to, to, to lend out and you know, the competition among those banks to make good loans to because all other things that kind of factor into the interest, not just so your willingness to like to hold on to that money, but also the risk. Okay, maybe I'm maybe I won't pay you back. So even if you're willing to part with the money, there's a is a risk you're taking with me, and you may want to be compensated for that risk. So the risk is factored in. Okay, the amount of time. Okay, so the the greater the amount of time, the greater you have to wait, the greater the risk that I may not pay pay you back. So that's going to increase the price for that money, increase the interest rate. Okay, whether that interest rate is a nominal dollar amount or a percentage interest, the point is, what are you paying for the use of, what are you paying in money tomorrow for do, for use of money today? Okay, that's the underlying deal here. Problem is, if I make a loan to a bank or if a bank makes gives me a mortgage, a mortgage isn't necessarily fungible, meaning I, I can't just go to somebody else and say, you know what, um, the bank can go to some and say, okay, hey. I'm going to give my mortgage to Bob. Now Bob owes you the money. Okay. You can't really like trade on both sides. Um, uh, the debt isn't necessarily like, and then a debt, a loan to me is not the same thing as a loan to Bob. Okay. So there isn't a, a, a this market of loans to Alex that has a lot of activity that you can use to price things like with stocks, since every share of apples for the most part, the same thing, you can take a look at somebody else's transaction in a sh in a share of Apple to figure out what your share should be with. I mean, even if you ever sold a house, you've ran into this problem. Like, what should your house be sold for? So you, you you know you try to look at like the other houses in your neighborhood, but maybe the other houses in your neighborhood have different amount of uh, rooms and different amenities or different square footage. And then you take a look at other houses that are very similar to your house, but they may be in a different neighborhood. You know, it's kind of tough to figure out sort of what is the right price. But with like stocks, we kind of know what the right price is because there's a lot of identical fungible things that are trading and we can take a look at those transactions and be like okay this must be the price because somebody just transacted at this price so we have an idea of what's called fair market value so in that case debt is a hard like just like like a mortgage just like a house is like a hard thing to buy and sell uh which then creates a whole new type of risk for the person who's taking on the debt a liquidity risk in the sense that hey can i take this asset the debt that someone owes me and turn into cash if I need it right away. Okay, you, so what happened is sort of to address this sort of like 
risk of liquidity, we've taken loans and we've turned them into something like a, a stock, you know, where you have in sort of pieces that are similar to each other that people can then exchange. And these are called bonds. Okay. So essentially what we do is let's say someone's borrowing $10 million. We'll take that $10 million loan and chop it up into a bunch of little pieces. And generally, again, generally, each piece is going to have a face value of a thousand dollars represents a thousand dollars of that loan. Okay. A thousand dollars of that loan. So in that case, you know, there's a thousand thousands and a million. So if this is a $10 million loan, we're looking at 10,000 of these little certificates being issued, each one being sold for a thousand dollars. Okay. So now there's all the bunch of different people have these pieces of paper in the sense, same way that people have a lot of shares of a stock. Um, and each of these represent a thousand dollars alone. And generally they're what's called coupon bearing, which means they pay a rate of interest. So in this case, you know, we'll say this pays 10% interest semi-annually because bonds usually pay semi-annually, which means I would be getting this, whoever owns this piece of papers is owed 10% of a thousand dollars every year. That'd be a hundred dollars. And that $100 will get paid semi-annually, so you get two $50 payments, you know, every six months. Cool. So now you have this asset. So someone owes you $1,000. So this way, a company who needs to borrow like $100 million, they would just issue 100,000 of these certificates, sell them, and life is okay. But what happens is the cool thing is that now since these are all identical, people can trade them back and forth, just like they trade back shares, and this can develop its own market price. So you can see what the market price of the debt is, which can be useful for pricing other debts, um, whatnot. And they, that's exactly how we'll kind of determine this like rate of interest. Okay. So generally, like the way of interest is determined when you're talking about like an investment bank who's trying to come up with like, hey, this, so I'm an investment bank, let's say, and basically my job is to help this company raise the money they need for the best price possible. Um, so like, should they issue stock to raise money? Should they issue bonds to raise money? Well, I want to figure out, okay, well, if we do issue bonds, what kind of interest are they going to have to pay? Well, first thing we're going to do is we're going to take a look at sort of the safest debt you can possibly have, because we're going to have to charge definitely more than that. That's called the risk-free rate of return. This is typically what's called the, the U S government's, uh, treasury rate, typically like the, the, the rate on 13 week treasury bills. So these are 13 week loans to the U S government. So let's say those are at 2%, okay? That's where we start. So that's our starting place, the risk-free rate of return, okay? Then I'm gonna go look for similar companies and take a look at similar companies that have like a similar credit rating, similar size, you know, basically as similar companies as I can find and take a look at their debt. So maybe their debt is trading at 10%. So that means they're trading at an 8% premium. Okay. An 8% premium over the risk-free rate of return. So this is my risk premium. So this is what this is how much extra you have to get because of the 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 risk that a company of this rate of this credit rating of this size the market apparently reflects. But basically I know this because I can take a look at similar companies. Okay, and then this will come up with a 10% coupon, which is the original rate of return of this loan. So that's kind of how we, we would determine the interest. Okay, very cool.
Now that's all fine and good. And then again, so I, the investment bank, would tell the company, hey, we can issue you bonds. You're going to have to pay 10% interest on the loan, but we can get that sold for you. Like there would be a demand because we've taken a look at similar companies and based on, you know, their current market prices and the yield on those bonds relative to the risk free return, this is what your coupon should be. Okay. So that's, that's the deal there. So again, the original price is $1,000, but interest rates change. Okay. So theoretically, let's say the government T-bills, okay, went from 2% to 4% because, you know, lots of inflation and rates have to go up in response to that inflation. Okay, that happens. So let's see here what happens though. But basically, again, your, your debt based on the market was supposed to be trading at an 8% premium. So theoretically, the, the yield on your bond should be really now 12%. Okay, should now be 12%. Problem is that you bought it and it's only paying 10% of $1,000, $100. So what's going to happen, whoever's going to buy from you really wants to have a return of 12%. So if they pay you the same $1,000 you received, you paid, technically the $100 they get every year isn't going to return them 100%. Okay, so then what's going to happen is if they do some, you'll do some calculations, but generally what happens is that your bond will now have to be trading at a lower price. So maybe your bond now becomes, if you decide to resell your bond, goes down to 950. So when interest rates go up, so when rates go up, the bond price has to go down because your bond needs to reflect what the market says it should be trading at. What 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 is the new sort of yield of bonds? So that's why everyone cares about like the interest rate on government bonds. Because generally all bonds are being priced relative to what that bonds. So you're taking a look at, okay, look, well, to, at this moment in time, bond these quality of bonds are trading this much above the government's risk-free rate. So when the government's risk-free rate goes up, we then have to add that premium back onto um, the, the new risk-free rate and then reprice the bond based on that. So vice versa, let's say the opposite happens. It goes down, it goes down to 1%. So technically now the yield of the bond should be 9%. When we add that 8% risk premium, well then technically you're still making 10%. You're still getting 100 bucks every year on your 1000 bucks. So you're making more than what the market's asking for. So that means someone will be fine taking 9%, meaning they'll be fine paying you a little bit more. So maybe you can sell it for like 1050. Okay, and that's generally like how bond market prices go up and down. They're oftentimes very everyone's pegging them off sort of government debt okay cool so that's just sort of like the functioning of the bond market and there's other there's other factors at play because again investors have other options so basically like you know if there's a bunch of people borrowing money and you know they're fighting over the same amount of money and there may not be necessarily so if there's a shortage if there's not enough money to go around people will also have to raise rates to make up for that so there's always this kind of again supply of loanable funds versus the demand for loanable funds as well supply and demand um but there's also this risk but again you always have the alternative of in lending to the government so there's always like that competition that implicit competition that the government who can essentially print the money to pay you um because again these loans at least in the U u.s government bonds are paid back in dollars which they can theoretically print um there's zero risk free again there's always the issue of like purchasing power and all that stuff but again, the idea that will you lose your principal of a thousand U.S. dollars? No, you won't lose your principal of a thousand U.S. dollars. Again, 
Will his purchasing power be the same? Uh, other, you know, political factors withstanding, um, but you, you'll get your thousand dollars back. That's why it's called the risk-free rate of return. Okay. Now, but the thing is, th something to consider when it comes to like government debt. Government gets issued in multiple maturities. Okay, so generally, like governments when they issue bonds, they're issuing bonds at sort of three tiers. Okay. So this next part's gonna be a, a little bit more commentary than than necessarily like lesson. So we have T bills, okay, which are generally gonna be between like three months to a year. So, so theoretically they could be up to two years. Then you have T notes, which have a maturity of two to ten years, and then anything over ten years is a T bond, which is generally just a thirty year. Okay, 10 plus, but really it just means there's just really like a 30-year maturity. So the government could borrow its money at any of these tiers. Okay, so right now it's November 27th, 2021. Rates are low, but there's thoughts of inflation. Now, so when we think about the politics of this, what matters is not just what the current rate of interest is, because you'll constantly hear people say like, oh, well, the rate of interest is really low, so we should borrow money to do things. The question is sort of which rates are low. So what you'd want to take a look at is the yield curve. So if I look up the treasury yield curve, the treasury yield curve, so let's see if we can find it. Daily treasury yield curve rates. Uh, I mean, those are the rates, but I'd like to, I want to see a visual curve. Daily treasury yield curve. Uh, nope, nope, those are just the numbers. Uh, Bloomberg, you got me a curve, right? Mm, that's not a curve. I mean, those are the rates. Uh, yield curve. There we go. Okay. So here's like the treasury yield curve. Oh, well, let's ignore that for now. Okay, so this blue line represents where we're currently at. Okay, so this is where we're currently at. So right now, if you want to borrow, and this is kind of a weird looking curve. So you're seeing it's like inverting in certain spots. That's generally not a good sign. Um, but let's explain what that means. So generally, this is how much you'd have to, this is the rate of interest on a one month T-bill. So 14 basis points, so 0.14%. And if you wanna borrow money for 30 years, it'd be almost 2%, okay? So the idea is the longer the maturity that the government borrows the money at, the higher the rate. Okay, so that, that gets pretty expensive if you're borrowing trillions and trillions of dollars to do stuff. So then you could pay less by borrowing really short term. But those, but again, you're not paying off the trillions of dollars right away. So even though you're paying almost nothing, 0.14%, you still have to go pay it off a month later, which means you have to re-borrow the money. Okay, so now what happens if inflation is peaking and that, that rate of interest is gonna go up? So let's take a look. I mean, just take a look, let's see here. This one is November 20th. So this is a year ago. So essentially like for between a year ago, the rate on that one month debt has almost doubled, okay? Not quite doubled, but almost doubled. Okay, now that's that's concerning because imagine if the government decided to borrow a bunch of one-month T-bills to borrow really, really cheap because, you know, they're responding to COVID and all this stuff that happened in 2020, but then they're, they, they're not paying that down because they're borrowing even more money, they spend more money, and now the rate of interest on that money has now like doubled. Now you take a look at the three-month, which is probably where the majority of the debt is probably financed at. Notice it's dropped here. Now this is kind of weird. Like why would people be willing to 
to why would people be, want more interest to borrow money for a month than three months? Okay, that generally is a weird sign. Okay, generally means like this is sort of rush for money in the future. Because again, if interest rates go, so basically the prices of these bonds are going up, um, which generally could either mean like Fed intervention. So the Fed, the Federal Reserve, they're the people who control the money supply in the US. They are buying up these three month T-bills to drive the price up. And as you saw earlier, when the interest rate went down, the price went up. So basically by driving the price up, it also drives down the yield, which other debt then gets priced off of. Okay, so basically this could sign the sign that particularly Fed intervention right here in the three month area. Um, so that way the government can finance a lot of its debts. And I wonder, let's take if we can see like uh, the average maturity of US debt. Okay, so average weighted maturity uh, from around the last 70 months at the end of 2020 before the pandemic to less than 65 months. So just over five years. So that means over five years, so five years from now, basically um, how about around half the debt. And actually, let me, actually let's, like, let's not look average. Let's look at median. That'll be more accurate. Maturity, what type of securities is the treasury issue? Let's see here. Does this give me some specifics? Ah, here we go. Yep, this is good. So basic treasury bills, so again, those short-term ones are 24% treasury debt. So that means we're refinancing our debt, 24% of our debt around once a year, okay? At least like once a year, that's like uh, probably more so that's revolving. So in that case, you know, a lot of that debt has increased. So again, the one month debt has increased in cost. Then we take a look at the, the one year debt that's gone up. That's more than doubled, okay, in the last year. So that, that so 24% of our debt is probably getting now again more than likely the majority of that's going to be here in three month t-bills and that would explain why it looks like like the fed is intervening at that price level to keep the government from being able to like not go broke um and again it's not that the government would go broke but you know again if they have to keep and they're already pretty money we'll come back to that now if we take a look at treasury notes that represents 53 percent of the debt okay so let's take a look at so that's like more than half of the debt. And if we take a look at that, so that's like two, again, two years to 10 years. So let's see here, a year ago, two year T notes were, and those more than doubled in the rate of interest. Uh, three years, that has more than like tripled, actually almost quadrupled, actually over quadrupled in, 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 in interest rate. Okay, and then we take a look at the seven year, that's a little over doubled. And then we take a look at the 10 year T note, that's about doubled. Okay, so basically, on fifty-three percent of the government's debt, theoretically, as if they're borrowing in that medium-year maturity, it's looking like they're, as those bonds have to be refloated, reborrowed, that they're borrowing at almost double the rate. Okay, so this is you know a dangerous game. Um, now we get to let's see here the twenty-year mark, twenty-year a little less than doubled, and thirty-year. And generally, you get convergence a little bit more in the 30-year because 30-year is going to be less about short-term government policy, more about long-term inflation expectations. But even then, you're seeing some change. Now, if we go back even two years ago, we're still not at the point of where rates were two years ago. So that's, you know, the government's still paying relatively less than it was two years ago because this is back in 2019. Okay, before, like, the world fell apart, the economy was doing well. So this is, like, you know, the, the curve of sort of a, uh, a rip-roaring economy 
Um, although that's a little flat, so that's not necessarily a good sign either. Generally, a flat as the curve flattens, it's generally a sign of like a shift between cycles. So this kind of makes sense. Um, the reason being is that like think about it this way: is like you have to kind of flatten before you you flip flop. Um, although it never doesn't. It's the you, you, if you watch the curve, you you you'll see what I mean if you watch it over time. But again, then let's go back to T bonds, and then T bonds is like the remainder of the debt. So that's like fourteen percent of all debt. Now theoretically, if rates are historical lows, the smart thing would be to do, uh, or at like for, like technically last year, the smart thing would have been to do is to start shifting a lot of that debt over to uh, the thirty-year fixed rate maturities. Yes, the government would have been paying significantly more debt, but as rates go up. But again, theoretically, that would require you to not spend more money. That would require you to. So in that case, again, a lot of that gets financed here in the, the shorter term. So we're talking about T-bills and T-notes. Okay, now the question is, like, if you take a look at these rates, you're seeing a rising again. When you take a look at the 10-year, that's generally going to be sort of the driver because it's like what most mortgages are based on because most people refinance their mortgages over 10 years. So this is going to be the determining of, like, what mortgages are. So you can see over here. If you got a mortgage last year, it was probably a really well priced. Now, like mortgages are probably have doubled in rates, which is again still fairly low, different than those fifteen percent mortgages back in the eighties, but still, you know, a still significant swing. And that's because of rising inflation expectations, which we are starting to see inflation uh, peak up in the economy right now here in twenty twenty one. So these are kind of indicators you look at. Now, what do you do? Like that's always the question, okay? And you know, you'll hear people make blanket statements like buy assets. Like yes, in general, and assets are going to go up during inflation. Although assets always have their own fundamentals that you have to worry about, so you'll have to worry about like, hey, are you buying assets that have strong fundamentals? Meaning that they're not just going to go up because of inflation; they actually have their own sort of value that will exist even after the inflation is gone. So that way, you don't, in case things turn out to not be as inflationary as you want, you don't necessarily like lose your pants. Um, also, you know, like, like, there's also considerations of like things like liquidity. Can you sell it? Or like, you know, if you buy a whole lot of it, can you sell it at the price that you bought it for? So there's all sorts of different like considerations when you're thinking from an investment point of view of how to deal with this. But from a political standpoint, you can see here, like, this is like this, you can see why this is concerning. If you're refinancing that debt over every five years. Okay. And again, just two years ago, these rates were much, much higher. So you know, very likely that, you know, we'll probably be back at this point at some point in the next five years. And a lot of this debt that we've just bought, that we've just reborrowed over the last year is going to end up getting back locked in at these higher rates. So, you know, government, people always say borrow money because it's cheap and say, yes, well, let's borrow the money to do infrastructure. Let's borrow the money to do this because interest rates are cheap. But again, it's not just to get to pay it back. It's just that you have to pay it back. And oftentimes with projects that you invest in, it can take years to complete, you know. And that's assuming you build the right roads. Okay, again, this is politics. So a lot of times which road gets gets built isn't because this is the road that's going to make generate the most economic benefit, but it's because, you know, you needed a vote to get the bill passed. And this congressman or senator said, let's prioritize this road in my district because it's going to get me the votes, even though it may not necessarily be the most productive project to build. You know, that's just sort of the nature of politics. So there is sort of like a deadweight loss. Like theoretically, you can imagine if we were to invest, not only like spend the money at a low rate on all the most productive projects and do it within good timelines at, at reasonable cost, that yeah, there could be a huge return. But there's all these like, there's issues with sort of like, you know, you go to places like, you look at England, like the cost they, they pay per 
uh, in labor and materials and all this stuff to build like a mile of transit is like a fraction of what New York pays because a lot of it has to go to labor due to like labor negotiations and labor issues where basically you have a very inflated cost of labor for, for doing the same work. Uh, okay. And then, you know, people will say like, well, you know, cost of living, safety, yada, yada. But the, you, you, the reality is still there that you may not necessarily be doing it for optimal costs. You may not be building the most productive project. So there's all these considerations in like what the actual sort of overall economic return will be when it's all said and done. And again, the time it takes to get a lot of these, like the cash out the door to get all the plans approved and all these things, you can't, they generally go slow. Okay. So you'll see the returns much, much, much later, but the interest will increase much, much, much quicker. These are all considerations and things I, I, I don't expect most politicians to understand and any party. But hopefully you watching this video can think about this a little bit more uh, critically. And I'm not saying, and this is not about to say that anything government does is good or bad. Um, if you've seen other videos, you, you, you know my opinions on these things. But the idea is that regardless of what you feel about any particular effort, particular government effort or really any effort that's being done through debt financing, um, you have to think a little bit more critically, not just about the interest rate, but about the maturity of the debt, uh, the timeline of the project. All these things to really see, like, is this a smart idea or not? And being able to follow interest rates and understand the bond market, hopefully this video will help you do that, um, will be to your benefit. So my name is Alex Merced from alexmerced.com. Uh, head over to alexmerced.com to find all the other stuff I do. I do have another YouTube channel if you're interested in web development or just programming in general. Uh, Alex Merced Coder at alexmercedcoder.com. If you're interested in more of my economics and politics, this is the right YouTube channel. Uh, and subscribe to my podcast. I got podcasts of all types. Just go look up my name over there on Spotify or iTunes or Stitcher. But otherwise, have a great day. My name is Alex Merced and enjoy.